You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. I've been spoken to lots, but the speaking part's new. Sorry, bear with me. I'm no means a pro. So I'm going to keep it brief. And in doing that, I can just say, if all of you do the exact opposite of I did at your age, you're going to be just fine. And that's all. No, I'm just joking. But I, uh, I do remember this season of my life. It was about 11 years ago. I know that probably makes some of you feel old because I was, I was 11 the first time a lot of you met me. Um, I know there's a lot to discover and a lot to remember already, so I actually will keep it brief. Uh, I just wanted to start by saying there's, there's no need to really fear this season of your life. I know there's a lot of pressure um, that comes with it, but this is where your journey begins, where you start to discover who you are and what you want in life. The advice that I'm going to share with you, I share as someone with experience who's been there and someone who should have listened to and needed this advice at your age. My purpose in sharing it is to hopefully bring awareness and maybe an alertness, but definitely not fear. I believe these things can apply to anyone and any route you may be pursuing in life. So that could be college or university, as we saw. That could be going right into the workforce or, of course, Bible school as well. So the first one would be to anchor yourself in the teachings and the Word of God. So start this journey off on the right foot. Build your spiritual house on a rock so it will not be shaken. When you look at your new busy schedule, or even the summer leading up to it, it might not be the first thing that you think about of, okay, where am I going to put my prayer time? Where am I going to put my Bible reading? But make sure it makes it into your schedule. When temptation and doubt come knocking, you'll be ready to stare it in the eye and you'll not be moved. The Bible tells us in Luke 10, 19, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing, nothing shall by any means hurt you. This verse, I I believe, tells us that there will be temptation. God doesn't say there won't be any snakes and there won't be any scorpions. He's telling us, he's giving us the image there will be. But you'll have the power not to avoid them. He's not going to give you super speed to run away from that temptation. You can look it dead in the eye and trample over it. He's given you that power. Number two, uh, if you're leaving home, so I know some of you just from the university you're going to, you are. Uh, 
it's definitely exciting. Going near or far, uh, my advice again here would be to find a church family to worship with and to support you. The Bible says, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. So I don't think this means that you can't make friends at school or at work. Knowing some of you, that's going to be impossible. Like, you'll have friends as soon as you walk in and say hi. It's your, it's your personality. You're, just, you're great kids. Well, young adults, you're not kids, I'm sorry. Just, my advice would be to set boundaries on the type of events that you attend and the environments you know you shouldn't be in. Don't let it anywhere near you. If you're unsure in the moment, from experience, that usually means, like, it's usually telling you something if you're unsure. Get involved with your church, whether you're staying here, which is great if you are, or if you're going away. This is going to build a stronger connection to the things of God and ensure that you have an extra leg up when that temptation shows its head. Now, if, if you are leaving, um, I've got good news. If you're not sure where to find a UPC church, I actually personally know the district superintendent, and I'll get him in touch with you, and we'll find you a church in your new community. The personal connection. The third one is go. Anyone say go? Go be a light. From someone who has been on the other side, this world is dark, and this world is sad, and this world needs young people on fire for him and willing to be ready to share the truth and love that he wants for everyone. God asked this of all of us. In Mark 16, 15, he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Acts 1 and 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's you. You're meant to reach the lost and shine that light. The world makes a bold stance in their ignorance to the Lord Jesus Christ. There may be times when you feel you're missing out. Or maybe I'm being a little strict. I, I can go. But you're not, I promise you. The world isn't partying and acting out of lust and sin because it's so great. They're doing so because they don't have what you have. You don't need a season of fun and sin to be shared with you. You have a life full of Jesus Christ to share with them. Just wrapping up, just remember, no matter which path you take in life, your home church is rooting for you, we're praying for you, and we love you. If you fall down, get back up, keep pushing forward. Keep God's plans above your own and keep him at the center of all you do, and you'll never have a regret. Amen. So, I am preaching before cake again. This happens to me a lot. No, I'm serious. There has been, like, if you, they don't keep stats on that, I'm sure, but if they did, I would be the leader for 
the guy who has to preach before coffee, tea, and cake. So the, there's good and bad to that. The good is no matter how bad I do, you guys still leave happy because you know there's cake. Uh, so I'm going to... I want to keep it short. I know these kids still have to go do exams tomorrow and a bunch of other kids over here too. So um, I'm going to try to get straight to the point. And um, I'm going to preach towards our graduates tonight and our young people, but I hope everyone can relate and take something from it. I'm going to read for a cup, like longer than I would normally read, but I kind of have to to get the story through. So Genesis chapter 13 is where I'm going to start, verse 14 through 17. quick there. After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, look as far as you can see in every direction, north and south, east and west. I am giving all this land as far as you can see and you and your descendants as a permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction, for I am giving it to you. So Abraham was prom had a promise given to him that he would have many descendants and he would have a land known as the land of Canaan. That is where the descendants of Abraham are from, and that's kind of where God and Abraham started this whole thing that we call the Bible and Christianity. Everyone say, that's where I'm from. Now I want to flip to the next book in the Bible. Some time has gone by. And I want to turn to Exodus chapter number 1, verse number 22, which is the last verse in that chapter. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. Okay, that doesn't sound like a good verse. Then skip down to Exodus chapter 2, which is technically the next verse in the Bible, but Exodus chapter 2, and I'm going to read 1 through 6, and then I promise I'll, I'll get to it. About this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married, got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw he was a special baby. Say, I'm a special baby. <laughs> I don't find that funny because what parent wouldn't think their child was a special baby, but... And I also find it funny that Moses technically wrote this book, and he was writing it about himself. So, <laughs> She saw he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months because of that first verse we read about what they were doing to the boys. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby, the little boy crying, and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Let's just pray really quick. Lord Jesus, God, I pray tonight. Thankful for our graduates, our young people, and all that are here tonight. And I just pray that you bless us, strengthen us, and help us tonight, God. We give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Moses was born to Levi parents. And his mother, like your parents, probably saw that there was something special 
about that baby. When I look at you graduates sitting on this pew, the majority or most of you are what I call church kids. You were raised in the church from a very young age. I know, Keelan, you were born on a Thursday afternoon, and your first service was that Sunday following. It was actually Brother and Sister Goddard's farewell service back in 2005. There, everyone's just like, wow, where did time go? <sighs> and you've been coming to church ever since. And that's what I see when I look at this pew. Church kids, kids that know all about church. They've been growing up in church, and they saw some of those pictures of Kaylin and Maggie where Tanya and I and Jeff and Kim kind of forced them into being friends before they even knew how to talk. <laughs> and it worked. They are, they've stayed friends. It's amazing. You grew up in Sunday school, which means that you know all the Sunday school songs, including the number one all-time greatest Sunday, Pentecostal Sunday school hit, which is Father Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Y'all didn't think I'd be singing tonight. Many sons had Father Abraham. And then there's that important part. I am one of them, and so are you, my friend. And now there's a lot of actions and other stuff that I don't want to get into because I don't know it. But I guarantee you these kids in this front pew do. It's the most popular Sunday school song in Pentecostal history, and it will be forever. It'll never be taken off that throne. See, where you are from physically, where you are born, tells us where you are from. So I was born here, so I say I'm from St. John. You may be from Fredericton, Moncton, Halifax, Toronto. Europe, Africa, Asia, it could be anywhere. Wherever you were born is kind of where people say, well, where are you from? That's where you're going to say. But I want to talk to you tonight about where you were born again is the place that you were from spiritually. Because the Bible tells us, you know, you can't just be born once and make it to heaven. We all have to be born again. That's Bible, John. Um, so that is, we all know where we're from, and that's what's on our birth certificate. But where are you from spiritually is what really matters. See, we have Moses as a child. Now we get half a chapter. It's not a long, detailed explanation. But Moses as a child was born during a very tumultuous time in history. The Pharaoh at the time was very afraid of this group of people known as the Israelites because they were living in the land of Egypt and they were multiplying at historic rates. I think 75 went down and 2 million were now in the land. And he was getting worried and he said, we need to do something or they're going to rise up and become more powerful and actually overtake us and they're going to be ruling the land and we're going to be the ones doing all the work. So he came up with this plan that they were going to throw all the newborn boys into the Nile River. And obviously, newborns cannot swim and that would have been a horrible thing. They were killing children. And his mother knew about this, and she just couldn't bear to have that happen to her young son named Moses. So what she did is she tried to hide him for as long as she possibly could. And she hid him miraculously for three months. Now, any young parents in here say, how could you ever hide a newborn for three months? You bring them home from the hospital, and the first night you're like, I'd just like to take it back. Forget about hiding. They never stop crying. They never stop needing you. 
But she somehow managed to hide him for three months. But she knew eventually someone would find out. And she was scared that the Egyptian army would come and take the child and throw him into the Nile River. And she just couldn't bear that. So she obviously between a rock and a hard place decided, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build a basket. I'm going to waterproof it. And I'm going to put my three-month-old son in that basket and just put him in the river and let him float and see what God's going to do with his life. And miraculously, we know that he floated right to Pharaoh's daughter. He didn't just float to any person. He flew to the he floated to the daughter of the king of Egypt. And she saw that little baby crying. She had compassion and she said, "You know what? I just can't let this happen." I She had compassion and saw a little child and said, you know what, it's not right. I'm not going to follow through with my dad's order. I'm going to find a way to save this child. And we know that she met the sister. They went and got the mother, and they determined that they would let Moses be weaned by his mother for a period of time until he was old enough, and then he would go and be adopted and live in the palace. Here's the thing. Moses was a young man. He grew up in Egypt. His entire life was in Egypt. He would have spoke Egyptian. He lived a life of luxury in the palace. He ate there, he slept there, he worked there, everything he did there. But from a very young age, he was raised by, as Pharaoh's grandson. He grew up in the palace of the world's most powerful man at the time. Moses was an adopted son, got, excellent, got an excellent experience, got all the privileges, all the power. He was rich. He had everything you could ever want and you could look at him and say you know you could get comfortable in that life and say yeah i like living at the palace i like having servants i like being the adopted son of the most powerful grandson of the most powerful man in the world he could have chose to stay there and never done anything but that's not how the story reads because when it says when moses was grown up. It doesn't say, I guess, in his 30s, we be, close to 40. He was living a life of luxury, but his true relatives, his blood relatives, were in slavery. They were working tirelessly, tire, tirelessly to build cities for his stepfather or stepbrother by that time. Hollywood will tell you that it was Ramses. I actually read an article from an Israeli archaeologist who believes it was actually King Tut who was building those cities at the time. But Moses went out and he saw his brothers, he called them, working and being mistreated, being whipped, being beaten for not working hard enough to build those cities. And something riled up in him, and this bothered him a lot. Because he said, they're doing this terrible thing to my true relatives. But my question is, this really doesn't make sense. Because Moses lived with Pharaoh from the time he was weaned. So we'll say that would be two years old, maybe max three years old, that he had lived as an Egyptian in the Egyptian palace. The Egyptians hated the Israelites. So how did Moses know that he wasn't really an Egyptian? Was there a mole in Pharaoh's palace? 
Maybe one of the servants, maybe his sister found a way to tell him. Somehow, some way, Moses found out you're adopted. And you're not only are you adopted, you're not even really an Egyptian, Moses. You're actually a Hebrew. You're one of those people enslaved out there building that city for us. My version of the story goes like this. It says it till he was weaned. So I, was, I just want to say it was maybe till he was three years old. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't remember much from being three years old. But the Bible says Moses was a special boy, much like our graduates today. They're special. They're smart. They can remember stuff from their three, right? Maybe, just maybe, he was with his real mom and his sister and his father. And they were in their home. It was a humble home. They were slaves. They had nothing. But they were in that home, and they were just doing the dishes together, and the mother started singing them some Sunday school songs. And, of course, she got to the number one all-time Pentecostal hit, Father Abraham. And she's singing that in the kitchen with her daughter and her little son Moses, and she's singing, Father Abraham had many sons, and they're probably doing the actions, and it's a fun time as a family. And she puts her hand on her little two-and-a-half-year-old son Moses, rubs his head and says, and so are you, my friend. And that little two-year-old put that in the memory. He goes, he gets adopted into the richest family in the world, lives a paradise life that we all kind of wish we had. But when he's 40 years old, he goes out and he sees his true brother's relatives being abused. And something rises up and he says, wait a second. I'm one of them. I'm not what everybody thinks I am. I'm not an Egyptian. Now, Egypt in the Bible, I didn't go to Bible college, but you don't need to be a Bible scholar. Egypt is a real country. It still exists to this day. So when it talks about Egypt, it means the land of Egypt. But it's also a metaphor for the world. Do you agree with that, Bibles? Thank you. <sighs> and you graduates, you've reached adulthood, and you're about ready to go out into a very big world. You're stepping out into Egypt. And much like Moses' mother, I think a lot of us as parents, we don't want to send you out there. We just want to build a basket and put you in it. Because we're scared and we're worried. But you're going to go out there regardless, so we might as well get used to it. But you're stepping out into Egypt for the first time. It is the most exciting and the most scary time of your life put together. You have tremendous opportunities for success. You have tremendous opportunities to fall and scrape your knees. But graduates, young people, everyone hear me tonight. You may go get your education in Egypt. You will probably take a job in Egypt. You may buy a house and pay a mortgage in Egypt. It's almost impossible in today's society to not have some involvement, entanglement with Egypt. But hear me tonight. You're not from Egypt. Egypt is going down. Egypt is heading in a, the wrong direction. Egypt is heading towards destruction. Tonight, I want to remind you before we send you out in those baskets. That would be funny if we just built eight baskets. <sighs> You're from Mission Point. 
And you should never forget where you came from. You were born... I know Galen was born in St. John. I know Maggie was born in Fredericton. I don't know the rest of you. I'm sorry. You were born here, there, somewhere. That's where you were born physically in a hospital, hopefully. Uh, but where were you born spiritually? You were born in this altar. You were born in that baptistry tank behind me. You're born in that Sunday school underneath us, in that youth chapel through that back door. That's where you were born spiritually. So when you get on that road to achieving all this amazing stuff that I know you're going to achieve, please, I just beg you, never, ever forget where you came from. At these services, I've been to a few. I've been in your seat, too, as a graduate. We always stand up here and tell you how great you are, and you are great, okay? We tell you God has a plan for your life, and he does. And I don't want to be the person to prophesy negative over you because I don't like doing that, but I like being realistic too. Because I know there's a bunch of people who've graduated and gone through things, and they're, they could stand and testify and say, the road to life between where you are right now and where you want to get is not straight. It's got twists, it's got turns, it's got bumps, it's got potholes. There's going to be a lot of things that you've got to go through to get where you want to. There may even be some crashes. All you new drivers. But never forget your permission point. And that when the things like that begin to happen, it's already been said by Zach, and then it was said by Jacob and Jane, it's already been said, this is a place to come back and reset. I don't want you to leave. I don't want you to go anywhere, but this is a place to come back and reset if need be. The door will be open. The lights will be on. Someone will be here. Now, I like going back to that first part where Moses was first born and his mom said she could tell there was something special about him. Now, unfortunately, the word special in today's world has kind of taken on a different, like if someone walks up to you and says, you're special, it's almost like, that, is that an insult? Are you taking a dig at me? Like, oh, I'm special. Um... But in this context, in the Word of God, when they said that, they truly meant that you were special, that there was something special about you. Now, in the coming two weeks, you're going to graduate with hundreds of other students. And you may look at some of them and say, well, that one's smarter than me. That one's more popular. That one's more athletic. That one's, you know, got more opportunity in life. All I want to say to you is don't worry about any of that. Don't ever compare yourself to stuff that's going on in Egypt. Compare yourself to what's going on between you and God and in your church. And it's been said, stick to a church. Now, I, I'm a realist. I know not everyone's going to stay in St. John. Some of you have to go places to fulfill the will of God for your life. But as it was said, find the church wherever you're going. Get involved in the church wherever you're going. Be a part of the church wherever you're going because you're from mission point. You can walk into any church and say, oh, I, I know about this stuff because I'm from mission point. I grew up in Sunday school. I know the words to Father Abraham, and I am one of them. 
that song's going to have a whole new meaning. <laughs> going into your first exams in university, and it's stressful, and it's hard. Everyone else is panicking and stressing out. You're walking in, Father Abraham. It's okay to be different. It's okay. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.